Ladies and gentlemen, is the worst type of people uh, not just beachgoers, but British beachgoers? I, w I would, I would, I would, I'd really want some research on that. Can, can I get some? Can I get a grant to research that type of people? Thanks. In other words, public enemies, Chuck D. Bring the noise. On the Fulfilling Podcast Network, I am Charlie Taylor, and this is What's Good. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen. Hope you've all had a good week in the circumstances. Um, shout out to the beachgoers once again. Shout out to the beachgoers. Getting your sun in, packing yourselves in a, be a, a beach-like setting uh, around around the around the coastline of uh, the UK. Packed in like fucking sardines. You, 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 you lot, you, you lots have, you lot have questionable motives. You lot have some questionable fucking motives. Oh my days! So for those that don't know, um, just just type up Bournemouth Beach anywhere, like Google, any social media. Just type up Bournemouth Beach, and you and you will see what I'm talking about. Packed in there like a oh like a just a, oh you like clowns in a car, man. Like clowns in a car, they they just went for it. They really wanted to get that sun in. Really, really wanted to get that sun in. You lot of jokers, right? You you lot have this um. You lot have the audacity to uh, clap for carers, right? And, and put so much emphasis on that Thursday night, eight p.m. for weeks, for weeks on end, and then you have the audacity. As soon as, as soon as lockdown, and I'm recording on July 1st, so we haven't even gotten to the measures of, like, the hairdressers opening back up again, like I talked about last week, right? We haven't even got to that yet, but you lot still have the audacity to go to the beach. Before we even, <laughs> even go through the next phase of bullshit lockdowns, because the economy's going down the toilet, like, you lot have some actual audacity. You you lot are actually jokers, fucking funny, unbelievable. Um, I just wanted to get out, honestly, just um, just 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 because I wanted to. Um, I'm not going to talk about it for uh, like a, for a particular topic of the show, so I just wanted to get it out there. But regardless of that, if you haven't gone to the beach and you've been an actual smart person, and uh, uh, not even smart, but just 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 with an ounce, maybe an ounce. A common sense in your in your in your in your in your, in your soul, um, in, in your brain, and uh, some some sort of, you know, um, um, uh, care for, care for your common man. Um, shout out to you guys, and I hope you've all had a great week. Um, it's been it's been uh, it's been it's been eh. the the weather's been a bit eh this past week. I don't know. So it's been a bit like up and down. Like it's been it's it's okay today as I record. But the past couple of days have just been constant wind and just clouds. So it's been a bit nice. you just don't know what to do with that kind of weather. Um, but apart from that, it's all good. It's all good. It's all good. Can't complain. <sighs> Man, you, can you tell I just really want to get out of there? I just really want to get out of there. You, oh, God. I hate people, man. I hate people. Like, especially beach people. Like, people that make an effort to go to the beach... Uh, are just that there's nothing good about them there's nothing good about them because they always just take up that space and even in, and especially in this case right in, in in usual cases like you know in non-pandemic worlds um I remember those times um all the all, all the the only thing that pissed me off is um the fact that they just constantly leave their shit um there leaving for people to pick it up or to see to pick it up right that was the one thing that pissed me off every single time. Every every time I saw uh, that you know where there was a day of ooh people going to the beach having a fun day with their families. Da 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 da. The next day, videos, pictures of just tons of fucking litter all over the place. British people have the most outstanding level of entitlement. Outstanding level of entitlement is actually mad. 
how how entitled we are as a as a as a society is actually crazy. But you know, let me stop there because I'm I'm nearly going into another one and there's no point. So uh, <laughs> let's just jump right into the show. Full base, full review, email, Twitter, IG, and Facebook as well. Discord link, everything, and including the uh, the topics I'm going to talk about and all the um, all the reads, all the articles I'm going to get into because uh, we have a full docket. Music, film, TV, life, sports, and all written pieces as well for me to reference as well. Um, they're all going to be in the full show notes. Link in the description wherever you're at. Then full show notes. Go give that a click. But with that said, let me take a breath. Peach <laughs> drop. And let's get into the show. In a week where Liverpool win the Premier League and the first top flight trophy 30 years after Chelsea beats Man- Manchester City, needed to menu then Manchester City 2 1. <laughs> Shout out to them. Uh, a teenager who tried to kill a six year old Tate Modern is jailed for 15 years. I'm cool with that. Uh, that. That was actually crazy to think about, actually. Like, why are you trying to chuck a kid off, off a balcony at Tate Modern? You, oh man, that's a. That's a he he clearly needs help. Like if I, if he just did that on a whim, like that's that's some, yeah yeah. He needs some he needs some therapy on that front. But you know, the prison system ain't, ain't about that. Um, that's for another day. In a in a one to one with uh, Kerry Washington, Sandra O oh says UK TV industry is behind in diversity. Now this is kind of saying um you know the sky is blue, um but I'm glad somebody said it. I'm glad somebody outside of the you know, of the UK TV space said it, because obviously Sandro's um, star of um, uh, Killing Eve, and the, uh, you know, majority of the show is filmed in the UK, so that's where she gets her, you know, um, her experience from in that case. Now, I don't know if she referenced, I forget where she references the film, UK film industry as well, but don't get it twisted, it's, it's the UK film industry as well, it's not just, <laughs> it's not just UK TV, it's UK film as well, but UK TV is even worse probably, like, UK film, I would say, like, is, um, there's some ounce uh, of trying, you know what I mean? UK TV, there's just none, there's just no attempt, zero attempt, you know, apart from, like, People like a uh, big nasty show, Mo Gilligan, uh, Romish Ranganathan. Pfft, stop there. <laughs> you can stop the list right there. Honestly, in terms of like people getting shows, you know, in actual prime time shows like Mo Gilligan's late uh, late night, whatever it's called, late night show is great. Big nasty show is great. Uh, the Ranganation especially is an amazing show. Really love, really enjoy that. Watching that, mad funny. Um, but yeah. Name, name others, please, please name others, and then I can go ahead, and while you do that, I can go ahead and name literally any other show <laughs> on UK television, any other show, any other show, like, there'll be an endless list, endless, endless list, anyway, uh, and the City of Leicester goes into its own lockdown, um, which, um, <sighs> what, <laughs> So you'll not do that for a city, uh, but you're going to do it for the rest of the country. Okay, I see what you're doing. You, 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 I hope you guys understand, right? You know, and I've probably said this before on Wax, but, you know, it's it's just economy shit, right? The reason why all this is happening. Oh, actually, I said it last week. It was the whole topic last week, wasn't it? Yeah, the fact that it's opened up again. Like, <laughs> it's opened up even more. Like, it's money. It's money. But anyway, talked about that last week. Go, go, go jump into that if you want to jump into that. And you know what? Since we're talking about Sandra Oh, let's get into this film and TV. So um I I saw this um I saw this piece. Um it's a, a little uh, little opinion piece, so to speak. Um not not yeah, yeah, yeah in, in a way, but it's, um it's got some it's got some good points behind it. So uh this is by Daniel Lawrence Taylor from The Guardian. Uh, as a black TV writer in a white industry, we need support not Doubt. That's the title of the article. Uh, full show notes if you want to read it for yourself. But I'm going to go ahead and give this a quick read right now. Ask any black person in the UK how they are feeling. And they will probably tell you they are <laughs> they are exhausted. Shit. Oh, yeah, go go peep that... Um, go peep that... Uh, uh, take out the knife, seal the wound episode of What's Good if you want to... If you want, if you want, if you want my hour of exhaustion uh, in that vacuum. Uh, aside from the usual usual struggles of being black in Britain, 
We found our inboxes filled with messages from white people discovering racism for the first time, apologising for their complicity, or stating passionately that they must do better. Oh wow, did you not get emails? Sorry, did you you not get messages in inbox in me, filled your inbox? Ah oh, shit, mine was um, mine was at zero for that kind of shit. But um, all right, pick up yourselves, <laughs> pick up yourselves. I did. My inbox was uh, my inbox was um, uh, 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 nil on that front. But you know. Continuing on, uh, we, we know it comes uh, from a good place, but your white guilt has become black admin. The plus side is that it shows there seems to be a genuine shift in the conversation. However, I worry that many individuals and companies don't know what real solidarity is. It was just a few weeks ago that vast swaths of the British TV industry were flooding their social media feeds with black squares and statements of solidarity. Unsurprisingly, with the industry's poor track record on diversity, the vast majority of us met this with side eye brackets. The black equivalent raised to a raised eyebrow, <laughs> on brackets, uh, knowing that it would be they will probably mean little more than a few extra jobs for black and brown actors. This isn't enough. The issue runs deeper than that. To show the progress that needs to be made this week, more than four thousand creators, mostly from minority ethnic backgrounds. Uh, myself included, signed an open letter to the TV industry urging broadcasters to implement a real change to address the deep-rooted racism in our country, uh, in our industry. Pause. Um, I, 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 I was having a conversation recently about, um, you know, uh, minority ethnic backgrounds and, you know, the concept of BAME, you know, British Asian Minority Eth- uh, Multi-Ethnicity, um, and, you know, stuff like BIPOC, which is which I've only actually discovered a couple of weeks ago. To be honest, I think that was like uh, black indigenous people of color, um, and uh, you know stuff like and and even African American actually, you know, it's, it's and stuff like that. Just terms that we use as you know forms of identity. Um, I was having a conversation with people um, about that, and it was a, it was very it was a very interesting conversation, and. Um, you know, and I I have used BAME previously, you know, in previous episodes. Um, but it's more, you know, for for me, um, I guess from a more conversational perspective, I don't think anybody can, you know, I'm BAME. Like, <laughs> nobody nobody talks like that um, in regular conversation. You know, either, you know, I'm black or I'm, I'm Jamaican or um, I'm, I'm Bangladeshi. You know, what I mean, you, you you go in a little bit deeper in that. And obviously, um, people use BAME. Um, you know, companies and uh, the government use BAME as a um, as a catch-all, and that's not what it's supposed to be. But um, obviously, it's been a manipulated in that sense. Continuing on, uh, it, is ra- it is a racism that's so entrenched that even white people who love Kendra Lamar play an unconscious role in it. <laughs> Shit. Let's get into that. I'm not going to get into that. I think I've actually gotten into that before. Um, I wrote a uh, article about the N-word um, and it was about, um, and the crux of that was, um, and the catalyst for that was um, a white girl um, saying the N-word on stage at <laughs> Kendra Lamar concert. And and she and he, and he was just like no 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 no, and that was a whole conversation around that. But um, yeah, if you want to go read that, go read that. It's, um, it's one of my favourite things I've written actually. Anyway, um, so insidious that impi- so insidious that people of colour find themselves doubting whether it's tangible enough to call out. So embedded that there are even people of colour who are so lost in, syst- in the system systematic racism. See, I get confused with systematic is systemic. I need to. Find out the differences between those two words, but anyway. Uh, Systematic racism source that they'll end up perpetuating it further, often working against you rather than with you. A pretty Patel or Trevor Phillips, if you will. (laughs) Love that, good line. Uh, As one one of a handful, and I do mean a handful, of black writers who have succeeded in having full series of their their show on British TV, I know why these changes are so important. As an actor, the lack of diversity on screen made me want to write to give people like me an opportunity, only to discover that the challenges of making it happen behind the camera were even more difficult. When Michaela Cole gave her epic McTaggart uh, lecture in 2018, she spoke about how writers from ethnic and working class backgrounds are paired with more experienced writers long before their unique stories have a chance to take shape. I had the same experience when I wrote Time Wasters, a sitcom about an all-black jazz band who time travelled back to the 1920s. My production team was not uh, subtle in their pursuit 
before listening and co-writer upon me, finding ways to tell me that I couldn't do it alone. An early moment that stood out was when I pushed to meet the expectations on a draft, only only to have the executive producer so surprised at the quality of writing that he assumed my white script editor was responsible for it. (sighs) Stress. I was trusted so little that I found it easier to get a lot of my ideas through pretending that they were either hers or co-signed by her. This became all too clear when, without my knowledge, an episode was completely rewritten and sent to the channel with my name on it. Fortunately, they sent it back querying why the episode focused on a peripheral white character. You know how, you know how much I would actually swing on someone for that? I would genuinely swing on you if you did that. I don't give a fuck who you are. If you touch my shit like that, rewrite my shit, put my name on it, oh my, there's a di- that's a level of disrespect I will swing on somebody over, and I will record that shit as well. Don't give a fuck. That's that's that that's a, that's a, that, we have to fight. We have to fight. The environment became a place in which failure wasn't an option. I would find myself asking industry friends for help and advice before I went on to my own team. I was constantly aware of perceptions of me as a black person in a white space, as people of colour often are. A new colleague and open, uh, was open and amused enough to tell me that she had been, she had been apprehensive about working with me at first, as she, as, as she was warned of how, about how difficult I was. This is a common form of gaslighting that takes place across all industries, where people of colour are dismissed and undermined when requesting something that is given to their white counterparts. It's hard to describe how unsettling it is when representation and opportunity are so hard to come by, to have your writing experience and the story itself whitewashed. It wasn't all bad though, although I eventually accepted the co-writer, I was given a brand new production team for series 2, and the experience was much better. The show received a BAFTA nomination, and I won a Royal Television Society Award. The consensus among both production and the channel was that series 2 was by far the strongest series. Was the by far, it was the far strongest series. Last year, Lenny Henry talks about how black shows on British TV often get hit, often get hit by the two-season jinx, rarely given the opportunity to grow further. Sadly, this was the case here. The second series didn't rate very well, which wasn't altogether surprising as there wasn't much publicity. Halfway through the series, we were given a quarter-page advert in a newspaper. A few months later, another period sitcom on the, on the same channel, but with all, an all-white cast, was given a full front and back pages of the same publication. Oh, God damn, this is depressing. Why industry people? If you have read this far, please don't take this as an affront. And just a pause. Um, white listeners, in any fashion, please keep reading. <laughs> please keep listening. Uh, this is just my experience, which I am sharing to deepen the conversation. I have a better relationship and new projects with the very same production company. And I am incredibly grateful to the channel for uh, the opportunity and the support. But in order to show real solidarity, understand you will need to enact genuine change. Nurture talent from people of colour in front and behind the camera. Stop trying to take back art without black artists. That show that, that That's how you end up with Vicky Azalea. <laughs> ah, trust and support rather than uh, question and doubt our abilities to tell our stories. Be aware of overwhelming and unwelcoming white spaces as they often experience uh, as they often experience by people of color and take steps to change your environment and culture. You don't have to, but remember your solidarity black squares have been screen grabbed. Um so yeah, I I don't really have much to say on it. I mean obviously I, you know, paused and uh, got my got my either jokes off or just um stress size out. So, yeah, I don't really have much to say on that. Um, it's kind of preaching to the choir here. And, you know, if you guys listen to the show regularly, you completely see where this is coming from. Um, and this is just another notch in the belt in terms of this kind of thing and this uh, type of conversation. Um, the only thing I will say, and I will reiterate, if you do that shit in terms of writing a script without my knowledge and putting my name on it, I don't care how good it is, I will swing on you. You think I'm joking. (laughs) 
But since we're talking about, um, you know, just uh, people's everyday racism in their particular um, uh, lives and uh, especially their profession, I wanted to read this uh, off uh, sports, uh, for the sports segment. And this is a a lovely um, just column by uh, Miss Dina Asher-Smith. The Queen is Dina Asher-Smith, all hail. Um, This is via The Telegraph. Um, it's called Think Racism Hasn't Affected Me. There is there almost every day. Um, and I just read this and I was just like, yeah, this is a definite read. <laughs> this is a definite read. So, um, yeah, let's just jump right into it because um, I feel like when it comes to, you know, a person like Dina that is, you know, moderately in the public eye, you know, not, not, not celebrity status, so to speak, but, you know, in the public eye, people know her name. If I, If you saw her... Um, you know, walking down the road, you might know her, may not, depending on your interests in, uh, obviously, athletics and or the Olympics. Um, so, yeah, you know, I think she's well known, but I think it's just an interesting um, viewpoint to, to look at this from, so uh, let's just jump right in. The past few weeks have been hard for me. In the weeks immediately after George Floyd's murder, it was hard. Hard to focus, hard to sleep tiring, exhausting, and emotionally draining. It was heartbreaking. I've been sad, frustrated, angry. It has been hard to think about it, but also impossible not to. Hard to talk about it, but also the only topic that seemed worthy of conversation. Most of all, it was hard to put a pen to paper, uh, or fingers to keys, and write something. I intended for this column to go out weeks ago, but I couldn't express myself clearly. I applaud all those who have been able to speak eloquently on a topic so close to our hearts in the midst of emotional turmoil. It has been traumatic. Sadly, I know that some people will read that and roll their eyes or think I'm sick of tired, uh, I'm sick of hearing about this. Or here they go again. And yes, while some <laughs> while some may be sick of hearing about it, black people are sick and t- uh, sick of having to talk about it of seeing a brutal murder trend on social media, knowing that it's only trending because someone was able to record it on a smartphone. Black people are sick and tired... Uh, I keep saying sick and tired, but they never. she never says tired. Black people are sick of being treated differently due to the colour of our skin. I agree to be a columnist to take up space. I firmly believe that there are a number of ways to affect change, and one of them is that you have to... Step outside your own echo chamber and away from people who are naturally inclined to agree with you and engage those with a different worldview. And there's a, and, you know, the Telegraph is a great place for that, I must say. Um, whilst, may, whilst many of you will have been profoundly affected by George Floyd, the Black Lives Matter movement and the events of the past few weeks in general, I am well aware that some will think, Dina, why are you so upset by this? Why does this warrant space in your sports column? Why are we talking about this in the UK? It's because it's because it affects my life too. These few weeks have been hard for so many people for a number of different reasons. For me, it was because it brought up so many suppressed memories and restated, restated uh, that it doesn't matter what I do or accomplish, how kind or quote-unquote good a person I may be, how educated or well-intentioned I am. There are people out there that seek to do me wrong because of the colour of my skin. There are layers and layers of quote-unquote unconscious bias at best and hate at worst that affect my life on a day-to-day basis. It's being assumed that while uh, that I am an employee rather than an attendee at a black tie event. It's being assumed that I come from a single-parent household and having consistently to emphasise that yes, my father is present and does come to my races. Yes, he's over there. And yes, he's loving and supportive. He has been since the day I was born. It's having to smile through the shocked O oh that follows that. It's being followed around not so inconspicuously by security in a store the moment you step in. It's being assured, uh, assumed that you can't afford to buy something in a nice shop. It's turning up for a photo shoot and being told your hair was too quote-unquote bronx in cornrows. Now that is a comment. Bronx? That's some some history in that one. Okay. Um, So it had to be completely restyled. 
is having my skin tone lightened in post-production after a shoot had concluded, to such an extent that when I saw the final images I went and looked in the mirror to confirm that I wasn't imagining things. It's turning up at Stansted Airport just a few summers ago, having left your makeup bag at home and not being able to find a single foundation in your shade to replace it. Not in duty free, boots, any store in the entire airport, and having to endure the uncomfortable shuffles of staff moving away as they realise what you're looking for, but they don't know, uh, but they know they don't stock anything for you. It's as a it's as a dark-skinned black woman uh, having to undergo the common journey of learning to love your hair the way it grows out of your head and the skin tone and your skin tone in your early twenties as you had grown up with images and the paradigm of beauty as that exact opposite to what you were and the messages specifically telling you that in real life exchanges, in music lyrics and even f- and from even the dolls you played with at a young age. In sport is hearing that a journalist at our world championship world championships holding camp press days only asked the black male athletes if they had ever been in a gang. Uh, had ever seen someone get stabbed and har- other harmful racial tropes. Clearly looking to put the story onto the athlete before the athlete had the chance to show who they were themselves. It's hearing the term the Africans used lazily collectively uh, describe <laughs> used to dis- lazily collectively describe athletes in the distant races. Why not use their actual names? And seeing the and then seeing the debates that the races are hard to follow and not always appealing to a European audience because everyone quote unquote looks the same. It's seeing the black footballers having to endure vile races uh, vile races chants, Nazi salutes and having banana skins thrown at them. Then being criticized for reacting to it and the organizations responsible gi- being given only a minor penalty fine. Ah, I talked about that shit, remember that? Uh, was it Montenegro? Yeah, I remember that episode. That was um, that was a really, that was a really uh, heated one for me. Um, it's coming on social media and seeing that Ian Wright has yet again opened his Instagram DMs to racial slurs and monkey emojis. And big up Ian Wright for that. Actually, I, I think every um, uh, 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 athlete or just notable person of color should just consistently just out those people, screenshot that shit, um, and you know, obviously, I understand why. Most people don't, because you don't want to just have your, um, I guess you know, uh, you know, uh, see that they, I don't know, maybe see that they're getting to you or something like that, or something in that nature. I mean, if someone's sending me that, um, yeah, I'm posting that shit. I'm sorry, like you're getting out, or even, or even better. So I'm gonna find where you work and I'm gonna send that shit to your employer. Um, but anyway. <laughs> Uh, 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 retribution aside uh, continuing on it's thinking about why Serena Williams and Beyonce almost died in childbirth that even in UK black women are five more times likely to die in, in childbirth than white women it's why it's not shocking to the BAME community there it is again, there you go uh, that we are twice as likely to die from coronavirus because unconscious bias syste- uh, systemic racism there you go, systemic, systemic systematic uh, and structural inequality express themselves in health crises. Uh, that is why the black community isn't shocked that Alexandra Burke was advised to lighten her skin to appeal to the British audience. Oh man, that was crazy. Oi, 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 oi. And why we're not shocked that the inaction that initially followed George Floyd's murder and the subsequent police brutality was all saw on social media at the protests afterwards. It's why we aren't shocked to see bu- the Buffalo police claim the 75-year-old man tripped and fell despite overseeing clear as day that he was pushed and left to bleed on the floor. It's not right, it's horrible and wrong, but this is most definitely not new. I could go on with countless more examples of overt racism microaggressions, but you know what? It hurts to remember all these things. I am normally happy, bubbly person. Uh, that's a, the a natural disposition of myself and my parents, but sometimes it takes a lot of effort to get there. As my friend Clarampho said in her interview with Gracia last week, black joy is a form of resistance. Being a joyous black person is radical. I also don't want to make myself a target. Speaking out is scary. You may get branded as complaining, and then life gets considerably worse, as experienced by Eniolu Luko, uh, who went through so much uh, for, to fight for justice. 
my hope, the same as many uh, who's, who have spoken out recently, uh, is that in writing this column I helped, uh, helped to raise awareness and bring about change. It's been good to see the veil being lifted for many people these last few weeks. It's good that more people feel able to have these conversations and to stand, and stand up against racism without fear of backlash or losing their jobs. Let's think about changing the way we talk about people who speak out. Let's think about the language we all use in these circumstances. What on earth is an anti-racist critic? Who the fuck says that? I have never heard that term. Who says that? Are you crazy? That's a fucking joke. That's a trip. Alright. <laughs> we were taught not to use double negatives in primary school. So why is this term being legitimized? No shit. Where, why is it? That's the first time I've heard of it. Okay. Uh, let's say let's say it uh, as it is. Let's say as it is. I'm not saying uh, I'm not thinking of having children anytime soon. But when I'm ready for that, I don't want my son to uh, to have to think twice before buying a nice car out of his hard-earned money, as having a nicer car will make him 40 times more likely to be stopped by the police. Now, I don't want my daughter to have go- have to go through the same self-love journey that so many of us are going to going through right now, or to be branded aggressive, scary, or a diva for simply expressing her opinion in circumstances she has the right to, like every other human being. I don't want to have to give ch- uh, give my children the same talk my parents had to give me at four years old. Never let anyone call you certain names. Never even look in your bag for for a tissue when you're browsing in a store, just in case people think that you're stealing. And understand that you will have to work at least twice as hard, be twice as good, a model of perfection, in order to attain half the recognition, respect, and opportunity. How do we get there? Uh, drum roll, please. This is why I love Dina, man. This is there. You go. Education is key. I repeat, education is key. We don't learn enough about world history, colonial history, and the fact that race is a social construct. There it is. Oos. We don't teach our ch- teach our children how to be anti-racist at school. I studied history at university because I wanted to understand more about the past. So I had the ability to understand the present and critically think about the future. In that first term of studying, my mind was blown. We have to do a better job of accurately educating our children about our history and difficult topics. We are not equipping our children to fully understand to understand fully the modern world and the challenges it, propo- it, it poses. Whether we like it or not, we are global citizens and that will increase with each generation as the traditional barriers of travel, borders, and languages, language are changing. Technology is connecting us like never before. So you can see a live stream of events in New Zealand or the United States from your phone in Bromley. Increasingly, we communicate through non-verbal means, such as hilarious memes and viral dances that emphasize the similarities between us and not the differences. We are all in a philosophical, reflective mood going through this collective traumatic event of coronavirus. The past few months have been illuminating for so many. It's highlighted how precious and transient life is. Exposed shortcomings uh, when it comes to protecting society's most vulnerable and shown us unequal and ineffective systems. We know how the power of one action, how one person has the opportunity to change the world. Please stand up and speak out against racism. Be anti-racist. Even if you think that you can't affect change, you can. We all hold influence, and whether that uh, whether that's across our dinner tables in a boardroom or on a platform that millions listen to, it all counts. We all have the power to bring about positive change. Life as we know it has changed so much recently, and have and many have had to sit back and really th- uh, and think about what really matters. Equality matters. Black lives matter. Oi! So shout out to Dean Rasher Smith on that one. Honestly, that is fire. That was fire. That was good. That was good. I'm I'm feeling I'm I'm this is one of those that was one of those pieces where I'm just I was just happy to read all through it. Now sometimes I I can you know I, I knew it was lengthy, but the just the more I got into it, I was just like okay, I can't skip that paragraph. I can't skip that paragraph. So I was like, let me just read it all because I th- I feel like it's worth it. There was a full three sixty view of it. 
um, in terms of where she's at. And it was very eloquently said. So, shout out to Dean Rasha Smith. Shout out to the Queen. Um, and, you know, and I, I don't want, I don't want to say it, but, you know, me been saying it. Education is key. Education is key. And speaking of education, shit, let's just jump right into this next topic right quick. <laughs> So the next topic is life, and we go to Miss uh, Harriet Swain of The Guardian, in this article called Payback Time, Academics Plan to Launch Free Black University in the UK. I saw this right, and I was just like, this is, I'm so glad somebody's doing this, I'm so glad somebody's doing this, because I was just like, I consistently think um, about uh, HBCUs, historically black colleges and universities in in America, right? And I, I I've asked I've asked some people, um, you know, some American friends, um, black or otherwise, that have gone to either a um a, a, a HBCU or a PWI, which is a, a I think it's privately I think it's white institutions, basically. I think I think it's privately or publicly. I don't know. Um, but yeah, white institutions, basically. You know, like your Yales, you know, just stuff like that. Um, and I look here, and every university is a PWI, technically. You know, just technically, it's, it's not... None of them are HBCUs in that fashion. You know what I mean? And I've always thought about that. I've been like, why isn't there one? Like, one. And I'm not saying that every black person should go there. Go there because there's a lot more that come, that, 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 you know, that's acquired for a good university. You know what I mean? There's a lot more. That <laughs> race wouldn't be... Um, race is... I, I don't think, personally, I don't think race is a... Um, um, should be, you know, a top five priority for you, regardless of who you are, I think. Um... Now, if you want to break that off into, you know, certain things that fall into the prism of race, okay, now I can see where you're coming from. Um, you know, some people go to HBCUs to, you know, discover, to read, uh, to discover their identity, so to speak. You know, some pe- some black people in America live in um, just purely white neighbourhoods, and that's all they know, and then they go to a HBCU, and their mind is completely expanded, and that's good, you know, that's, um, that's a, that's a decision that's worth taking, um, and if you want to take that, make that decision, you know, on that basis, then I'm cool with that, um, but that's more on the subject of identity, I wouldn't say, um, in terms like, you know, oh, black university, I'm gonna go there, you know what I mean, it's, eh, that's, that's a bit shaky ground for me, but anyway, um, but I just saw this and I had to big it up um, just for just for big ups reasons, honestly. So uh, let's just jump right in. Mel's Owusu, big up Mel's Owusu, um, has addressed research seminars, given a TED talk, and performed raps at academic conferences to try and decolon try to decolonize uh, higher education. But eventually, the PhD student and former sabbatical officer at Leeds University Union uh, came to realization. Quote. I was like, hmm, this idea of transforming the university from the inside and having a decolonized curriculum isn't going to happen with the way the structures of the university are. You fucking know. Oh, this is so good already. Gosh. Uh, just to pause right quick, right? Because um, I've, been, I've been watching a few videos recently about like how um, people, I'm going to say white people, can't get over the, can't get over, you know, the hump of... Um, uh, uh, of the of the concept of the system, right? Oh yes, you know what? Let me just uh, continue because uh, <sighs> could be all day explaining that. Uh, after listening to the experiences of black students, Obusu began to see the problem was that universities are built on colonization. Quote: Built on colonization. The money, buildings, architecture, everything is colonial. Unquote. It inspired the idea of a fleet free black university to quote unquote redistribute knowledge. Uh, and place black students and decolonize and a decolonized curriculum at his heart rather than as an add-on 
A GoFundMe campaign launched to finance the project has raised more than 60k since being set up this month and won, a back, won backing from both the university and college union and national uh, union of students. Uwusu, who studied politics and philosophy at Leeds, will start a PhD in ep- epistemic uh, justice at the University of Cambridge in October. Is super excited, quote unquote, at the success of the fundraising uh, fundraising campaign, which aims to raise 250k to get the project up and running by the autumn. Fuck, that's tough, man. That's tough. That's a tough. That's a tough lineup already. Like, so you're doing this in man. There must be some mad planning behind this already. Uh, they, they can't. That can't be just it. Like, hey, funding, <laughs> and then just four months later, university. Anyway, <laughs> there must be more to it. Uh, most of the money so far has come from large numbers of individual donations, riding from ranging from five up to a few hundred pounds, with larger sums gathered through fundraising events. A key aim, however, is to persuade universities to redistribute money to the initiative by making an annual donation. Oh, I like that. I love the sound of that. Oh, I love the sound of that. Uh, excuse me. The Free Black University will benefit their students and the community as a whole, says Wusu. Campaigns uh, along, along these lines by student activists have already started at Manchester, Manchester Met, Leeds, Exeter and UCL. Wusu sees this as a way not only for institutions to fulfil their promises to current black students, but as payback for the, for the role they have played in the progress of racism, from benefiting from donations by slave owners to developing a study of eugenics. Oi, these are some bars right here, boy. Uh, quote, a lot of, these, a lot of universities uh, that we have seen with Black Lives Matter have been putting out statements that we're in support of black lives, but we hear from black students all the time that they leave university traumatised, unquote. They fail, they experience racism all the time, and the university doesn't necessarily deal with that uh, in the best way, or deal with it at all. I think I've talked about that before, um, it's, I've definitely talked about racism in universities before, um, it's not, it's, it's, it's very, it's very widespread, you know, it's, um, it's not, it's not locked down to one uni, it's a lot of them, um, it's everywhere, um, as is, you know, it's just UK how it is. Uh, the idea for the free university has be, had been brewing for a while, but the recent surge of interest in Black Lives Matter following the death of George Floyd has brought uh, brought it to a head, says Wusu. Uh, quote, it feels like there is a growth of collective understanding of how deeply racism is entrenched in our society and realising how little it has been done to challenge that at the core. We decided to launch it at this moment because, one, it was ready to be launched, and two, the world's eyes are on how we act, how do we actually make Black Lives Matter, and one of the ways I think that will happen is through transformative education, unquote. This, one, this might be one of my favourite articles I've read in a while. This is great. I'm loving this. I hope you're liking this too. This is, this is fucking a... Oh, bars. The bars upon bars. A small team of PhD students, recent graduates, and student activists is putting together... Uh, the project with the aim of having legal a legal structure in place before October. The plan is to deliver open access online lectures exploring radical and transformational topics, build an online library of radical readings, develop a journal and podcast. Podcast? Podcast? Oh, I better, get, better stick my foot in right quick there. Uh, <laughs> provide a member space for black academics who need support and hold an annual conference bringing together black radical thinkers. The curriculum will be centred around sociological, historical and philosophical approaches to black liberation but could move uh, more into more scientific and creative areas. Eventually applying for degree awarding powers may be an option so long as the, uh, those involved feel it is possible to do uh, without becoming institutionalised. An important element of the project will be a space of community space of community and care for black students, connecting them with black therapists, counsellors and community healers to offer a range of support. Members of black and minority ethnic, uh, BAME, again, uh, <laughs> it's Asian, but still, a BME, there you go, uh, are, at great, are at great risk of developing mental health conditions, with some research suggesting that experiencing racism can increase the chances of developing depression. In the longer term, with enough money, the aim is to have a physical hub including teaching rooms, a bookshop, restaurant, and healing areas in one of London's most diverse uh, neighbourhoods such as Brixton or Lewisham. 
while other races will be able to benefit from the open access resources provided, the main focus of the project will be the black community. To make up for the fact, Wusu says that, quote, black students and the black community in general have not been able to access the current spaces that are within academia in a fair, consistent and safe way. Oh, this is great. I'm loving all of this, all of this, all of this. That is not the end of the article. I'm going to stop there um, just to gas this shit up. And I actually might hit Boss, boss Man up to that, for that podcast. I want in on that. I want to help any way I can on that front. That'll be, that'll be, that'll be such a notch. That'll be such a, that'll be such a great thing. Just, oh, I'd, I'd, I, I would really love to do that. I'd actually really love to do that. I'd I'd not not even participate, right? I'd just love to help produce or edit something. I just need to. I, I want to help in some way on that front, on the podcast front. So I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna hit I'm gonna hit boss man up. Trust me on that. I'm gonna find him. I'm gonna get him. I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna pitch to him. <laughs> Fuck it. <laughs> I'm gonna pitch to him. Shit. Oh my days. That is absolutely honestly the whole thing is so refreshing. I feel refreshed. I actually feel energized from reading that. Um, that is great. That is a great thing right there. Like the just the just the starting small aspects of it of just having you know the just having the resources and just a place to pe- for people to go to for that kind of shit. Because you know there are places you can go right. The Black Cultural Archives. Um, you know just for example right. Um, there's a plenty of places you can go to, but I just, in terms of like university stuff, right? Um, there isn't specifically a place for that kind of stuff. Like, you know what I mean? Like, I did, um, I did a few essays on like you know race in film, right? Um, and there was one, there was like a, I don't know, I don't know how how to size it, but um, or how to describe it, the size of the bookshelf but you know it was like a couple of shelves you know and they were about um a few feet long right and they were filled with you know good culture books um that applied to what I was talking about you know in talking about you know film and general culture but um I don't know bro maybe I didn't look in the library properly for you know you know black history in the academic sense you know in terms of talking about you know um, African history and stuff like that. Um, I didn't look. I didn't look in the library for that kind of stuff. But I, I would like to go back and have a look just to see if it's there. Just to make this, just to potentially make the point that you know, some some universities might not have that kind of shit. Might not. You don't know. Maybe not. Why? Why would they? You know what I mean? Just why would they? Why would they at all? You know what I mean? If they don't have this, they don't have that. You never know. Um, but I, I would just. I, I fully support this shit. I, I've never been so behind something. <laughs> and, uh, you know, just cu- coming out with these uh, two um, articles back to back with Dina and uh, and this particular one. Um, it, 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 I'm just driving this home. The education really is key for this shit. It, is, it really is the ground that we can actually plant seeds. And, you know, if you teach your... You, and you know this is this is kind of um this is me i'm i'm saying this on the on the basis that um as, most parents don't teach their kids this shit or they don't show their kids this shit you know in in like in terms of documentaries or even films or tv shows right or it, maybe music maybe music but even in that you know there's there's some white Kendrick Lamar fans that still don't get it Trust me on that. Trust me on that. Alright, there are some white Kendrick Lamar fans that still don't get the picture. You know, three out al- several albums of that of that shit still don't get it. Still doesn't get it. Still don't get the picture, right? So if if they if they can't get it from they some people can't get it from music, some people don't get it from TV, film, they don't get the full picture. If you teach this shit in schools with actual with a rigorous like just with rigorous honesty they will make their opinions for themselves and teaching them like Dina said 
teaching them about anti-racist, being anti-racist, and the and the attitude that is required for that. That shit goes a long way, because once your kids learn that, white, black, otherwise, once your kids learn that, then their kids learn that, and their kids learn that. And going back to the episode a few, uh, going back to my rant a few episodes ago. That's when you can take the knife out. And that's when people, you know, maybe maybe politicians start to see it in a different light. And then they can start to, you know, dismantle some shit. Maybe. This is this is all a maybe, you know, you know. It's it's how I it's how I think it should be done. Just as a just as a bare minimum. There's there's maximums that I could suggest, but I don't. But there's no. There's, I'd rather not. I'd rather keep it happy right now in terms of how energized I am right now. But still, education really is key. I think. If you don't think so, if you don't think that's the first thing we should do, um, you know, obviously this is in terms of just race and um, becoming a better society. I think. Um, obviously, there's plenty more stuff <laughs> that could be done immediately. You know, like homelessness, poverty child poverty, healthcare, back to the NHS, let's go back to that at the start of the episode, you know, there's plenty of that, obviously, there's plenty of that, but in terms of just um, progressing as a society, from a cultural base standpoint, education, that's where we begin. So we move on to music, and uh, this is um okay. I just wanted to <laughs> talk about how fucking mad this is, um, and uh, I don't, I don't know where the article's gone with this. Um, I've read some of it, but not all of it. So uh, and I, I probably won't read it all, but I just wanted to just just gain the gain the feel. You know what I mean? Like, like, that kind that kind of thing, because. Uh, it's an interesting concept. Um, it's an interesting, not concept, an interesting subject, and I just wanted to touch on it, um, just, just, just briefly, because um, just seeing the picture alone just pisses me off. Um, <laughs> so this is by Andre G of uh, DJ Booth. Uh, Six Nine and Nicki Minaj got their number one single, but at what cost? So let's just jump right. Uh, 6 9 Nicki Minaj Trolls went number one Billboard this week. The infamous duo displays noteworthy chemistry on the record, but they also have a few other things that work in their favour. Numerous signed merch bundles, four different versions of the song, two diehard stand bases who incessantly streamed it, and possibly fake YouTube streams. Possibly in brackets, I'd just like to say. 6 9 and his co-star and his record, la- and his record label 10K Projects pulled out all the stops to get the AOA-driven record to the top of the hun- Hot 100 chart. Trolls... Follows Say So, Nikki, Nikki's uh, May collaboration with Doja Cat, which earned the veteran star uh, the second number one of her single, uh, single of her career, uh, career. Nikki is now the first woman rapper of the 21st century to debut number one. At least he didn't say female, I guess. Um, to recap, Nikki Minaj went her entire career about 15 years without talking about 100, and then did it twice in two months, but a world cost. Both Nicki Minaj and 6ix9ine have framed their number one record as an incredible achievement, but it's actually actually a collective failure that demonstrates the amorality of capitalism. Two weeks ago, the music industry staged a blackout in solidarity with black people protesting the police brutality and the systemic inequality. But now, a label run by Elliot Grange, son of Universal Music CEO Lucian Grange, is capitalising off an artist who fed the disproportionately black prison industrial complex and and jokes about it. The record, recording industry is predict, uh, predicated on making shrewd ploys to top the Hot 100, but this instance has a particularly rancid stench. 10K Projects and 6 9 wanted a number one record. Nicki Minaj knew her present would, presence would help him achieve that goal. The Barbs, Nicki Minaj's infamous fan base, relentlessly ran up the numbers, and purchased the bundles for no other reason. Excuse me, for no other reason than Trolls is a Nicki Minaj product. This behaviour, which is not new, further highlights how stand culture is materialism. 
Despite 6 9 numerous abuses, numerous abuses to so many people, consumerism apparently makes him too lucrative not to invest in. In October 2019, 10K Projects re-signed 6 9 to a record deal reportedly worth more than 10 mil. At the time, 6 9 was incarcerated for numerous charges stemming from a federal federal RICO case. Uh, I think that's... Uh, I don't even want to... I could look it up, but I can't be asked. <laughs> against members of the 9 Trey Blood Street Gang. Uh, he was given a light two-year jail sentence in December 2019 because of his considerable cooperation. That same month, Grange told Variety he re-signed the artist because, quote, Takashi knows how to get under people's skin, unquote, and that he's, quote, he's, he's an addictive, uh, charismatic human being, unquote. The statement reflects Grange's lack of empathy for all the people 6 9 has made suffer. 6 9 girlfriend, Sarah Maluna, accused him of repeated abuse. He was charged with the use of a uh, use of a child in a sexual performance after fondling a 13-year-old black girl in 2015. He put a 20k hit on Chief Keith after an online war of words, then snitched on broken rapper Kuda B for the for the crime. His former friend Billy Ado or Ado uh, alleges that when 6ix9ine gave out his address in a threat for people to test his gangster, his mother was living at the house. No one is exempt from his wrath. Still, Grange surmised to Variety, quote, I'm not giving 6ix9ine a second chance, just an opportunity, the rest is up to him, unquote. Most eyes would die to have this kind of opportunity. 6ix9ine's goober uh, was prompted with a massive billboard in New York Times Square. Music manager Scooter Braun alluded to paid views for the goober video, Knowing that YouTube investigated a video uh, the week of Goober's release that had, quote, six times the amount of paid bot activity than the normal video, that video was not ours, unquote. 6ix9ine asserts that trolls, trolls broke the YouTube record for a debut hip-hop video of 46 million views in 24 hours. But YouTube clarified the number is actually 32.5 million views as to, uh, and also told Forbes, quote, we are no longer counting paid advertising views on YouTube in the YouTube music charts calculation. Eyes will now be ranked based on view counts from organic plays, unquote. It certainly appears 6ix9ine has been afforded the kind of extreme marketing reserve for top-tier artists, but even so, he still had previously failed to earn a number one record. That's where Nicky comes in. The two previously collaborated on Fifi, a syrupy 2018 record 6ix9ine admitted he put little effort into. But he isn't in the game to be a revered artist. He's in it for the stats. Nicki Minaj's work garners not just because of a charismatic mic presence that far outshines 6ix9ine, but because of her fan base that supports her every move. And fuck do they support her every move. That was not the article, that was me. Uh, the Barb's worked on one accord to purchase autographed Trolls merch bundles and all four versions of the record which were available at a discounted cost at 69 cents. One of her fans tweeted, This is our number one, y'all. We did this together again. They, uh, they even had Trolls parties tweeting various <laughs> variants of one account's demands to stream Trolls only for Nikki so she can debut number one. And be the first female rapper to do so since Lauren Hill. You know, well, this just raises Lauren Hill's legacy for me, but we'll get to that um, in another <laughs> later episode. <laughs> uh, but this, uh, but is this is that distra- is that distinction worth being associated with Six Nine to achieve? There's no such thing as only supporting Nicki on a collaboration that also helps Six Nine's career. Nicki Minaj's uh, fan, fan's laser-focused desire to, ran, uh, to run up the numbers exemplifies the inhumanity of stand culture. American consumerism conditions us to pursue products to fill holes we have trouble plugging internally. Oof, that's a bar. <laughs> Deep. Uh, corporations like labels, fashion brands, and media outlets co-mingle to prey on that urge. That's a bar of a... <laughs> Those are bars on that paragraph. Damn. Deep. Uh... Through headlines and billboards, these corporations, uh, I say core plantations, shout out to Chuck D on that, I love that, I love that term, core plantations, I love it, Uh, make our faves larger than life products and capitalise on our desire to invest in bigger ideas, in ideas bigger than ourselves. Uh, In the case of the Barb's, I hate, I fucking hate saying that, Barb's, 
It's the idea of helping Nicki Minaj maintain her uh, maintain supremacy. Her success fills the, their sense of self worth, which means more to them than whoever the victims of Six Nine's actions are. But in that devotion to self worth through Nicki, they've not just betrayed their morality, but made a sent made her a sentient logo, absolving their favorite eyes of the very human need for moral compass. That's how we get collaborations like Trolls without call- anyone calling foul. Until we dismantle capitalism, the music industry will continue to promote uh, promote reprehensible acts in the name of a dollar. Eyes will continue to sacrifice their integrity for a check, and fans will continue to patronize out of blind allegiance. Six Nine isn't likely doesn't care about any of this. He soon will be gloating on Instagram live, uh, on an Instagram live session that clogs your social feed. <laughs> Fuck, not mine. Fuck. Is, is, is he on your social feed, guys? He f- sure as shit ain't on mine. Anyone that do- that, that plugs six nine content gets muted. Facts, facts. All right, trust me on that. I don't see any of this shit. I don't see any of this shit. Trust me on that. No, this is all secondhand. When I hear this shit, trust me. Anyway, his accolades aren't a result of love or even musical enjoyment. They're a cold machination of capitalism. So shout out to Andre G on that, and we'll finish on that because that's a that's a. That's a that's a tasty freaking article right there. You know this is this is this has been one of the best episodes just from a just from a um just from a, a word standpoint in terms of what people are talking about and how they talk about it. There's there's some some bars have been spat in this episode and it's really made me happy and really made me energized. So I'm I'm just I'm just happy that I've managed to find these good works. Honestly, it's, it's been great. Um, shout to shout to everyone on that. Um, I mean, it's, it's deep, it's a deep conversation, obviously, on music and capitalism, um, I'm just pissed that it's all in a hip-hop sphere, um, that's where I get angry, um, and obviously the whole concept of it is angry, uh, get, music industry in general gets me angry, but the fact that it's just in hip-hop circles really pisses me off, um, it had to be that, didn't it, it couldn't have just been fucking pop garbage, but no, it had to be hip-hop, um, yeah, I've always, I've always, I've always, I've never really um, had a, uh, I've always had a irksome eye towards Nicki Minaj, and um, this attitude really just make takes the cake. It's so, it's so open and so out there. They're not even trying to hide it anymore, and frankly, it's disgusting. Um, Six nine is just a piece of shit. We know this. I've said this before. He is a piece of shit. He forever will be a piece of shit. Anyone listens to his music, I'm sorry, you are supporting a piece of shit. Um, and you know what, Nick, Nicki Minaj and her fucking fan base. I don't. I don't give a fuck if you if you if you consider yourself a stan in general. If you consider yourself a stan in in a, in a legitimate sense, I question your I question your mentality. I question you. I just question you as a human, to be honest. Like you, you, you need to fix yourself up. You need to get your life together if you stand anything. Um, but especially Nicki Minaj fa- uh, stands, fucking worst. The, the the fucking worst. How do you? How do you? How do you form your the basis of your life off an, off another person? Like that. That, that that's outstanding to me. That is actually outstanding to me. That is actually outstanding to me to think about. Like religion is one thing, right? Religion is a is one thing, right? We we can talk about it if we want. I won't, but I'm just saying. Like it can be talked about. But uh, but an actual person, it's 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 outstanding. It really is outstanding. Like I can't. There's no person. I wouldn't even stand my wife. You know what I mean? Like, I don't understand my mother. I don't... I can't understand the concept of stan culture. I mean, I understand it, but I just can't fathom being in it. It doesn't make... It doesn't make sense. That really is some psychopathic as a collective behaviour, and personally, anyway, and individually. Like, individually, you're a psychopath, and if you participate in, you know, Bayhive... Bobs, any of that shit, 
I question you. <laughs> I question your 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 ideals as a human. Like, what are you doing in life? But just like tweeting anything and has nothing to do with anything. But you just post a video of this person and just a fucking um uh, just a fucking montage of them just get serving looks. You don't need to fix the shit up, man. And you know. The music industry is doing this because you guys allow it to. Like, you, you, the same with racism. You have more power than you think. You really do. You don't have to listen to, you don't have to listen to people who suck. I'm sorry, like, and it's not even like the music's good. I'm sorry, it's not, it's not, it's not. So, you know, oh, but it bops. And on that note, I've already pissed myself off. Great. I, I had so much energy, and now I've just pissed myself off. So. <sighs> oh, well, I'll do it to myself. But anyway, ladies and gentlemen, from the Fifth Heaven Podcast Network, I have been Charlie Taylor, and this has been most good. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Share it, share share any of this, um, any of the episodes. Share the articles. Read the articles. Please go do so in any fashion any of that, and let me know that you've done that, please, because um, I'd just, just like to know if you've done that shit, um, support in any way you can, for not just for me, but for the people who uh, obviously has uh, written these uh, amazing pieces, um, and to, and are doing these amazing things, um, in, in, in general, shout out to Wawusu, um, Intro music is uh, Too Much by Vanilla, Interlude music is Vista by Poldor, you can find both of their tunes, and both of their um, uh, accounts via Bandcamp in the full show notes. Go click that link. Shout out to Joe Records for the ability to use these songs. You can also find their entire discography in the Bandcamp link in the full show notes. In the full show notes. For the third time, and for the last time, in the full show notes. Hope you have a great week. I shall always, always try and do the same. But until the next time, take it easy. Ladies and gentlemen.